Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Linus Leo Lampy, the Triple L, and I am joined by my fantastic co-host Edward Dempsey. Uh, Have any of you ever thought, oh, the law is something I'd love to do? The law sounds like a great degree, but it's just all that reading, that writing, and I don't know if I'd garner the career I want out of it. Well, we have someone here today that's going to prove you wrong and is going to tell you about the absolutely fantastic opportunities and amazing experiences you will receive as a solicitor. Um, just before we begin, we've got a few things to say about Flamanc Law Society. Over to Ed, who is the Vice President. Flamanc Law Society is an excellent society where you can learn about the career in the legal sector. We also do debating, moots and negotiations if you're interested in that. All great stuff to add to a CV or a resume. And for the small price of £10, you can be a member the rest of the year and have access to any and all events that we run. Thanks, Magnus. Brilliant. That's all for the promotions for now. As we on a, are on a time limit, we've happened to chose the most uh, you know, highly busy Australian lawyer that I know. Um, so, Walter, do you want to tell us about um, taking a training contract in coronavirus? Um, it sounds like a pretty daunting aspect and prospect to me. Um, absolutely. So, hi guys, I'm Walter Meyer. I'm a trainee solicitor at Clifford Chance, I'm currently sitting uh, in my second seat with the litigation dispute resolution team. Um, but the majority of my first seat, as uh, has just been mentioned, I, I spent uh, I spent in lockdown. Um, in fact, it was actually pretty, it's pretty uh, uh, idyllic lockdown, to be honest with you. Um, I was staying with a mate out in the Cotswolds. Um, his parents have a cottage out there. Um, so for sort of five out of those six months, really, I was uh, in sort of bucolic English countryside, um, which for an Australian like myself was uh, was a real treat. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a strange time. Um, I had a, I had two weeks starting in the office in in sort of early March, uh, which gave me a bit of an opportunity to kind of get to know people and. Um, and put some faces to names and things. So, so it was, in a way, it was it was good timing because at least I had the opportunity to, to actually make those connections in the first place. Um, but from that point onwards, we were kind of cast out uh, as as you know the rest of the city of London and Canary Wharf uh, were. So it it did make for some slightly difficult um, circumstances. The, the workflow obviously was was interrupted as well, um, and this was. This impacted different departments differently. So obviously, in, in some departments, suddenly things became crazy. Um, in empl employment, for instance, is um, linked with uh, with tax at Clipper Chance. We they said they share a sort of practice area, and uh, suddenly employment was very busy because um, there were all sorts of um, questions around the furlough scheme that, that employers were, were you know were concerned about, and so they were run off their feet. And then the tax team um, was busy in some respects, and in other respects, things were, were getting a bit quieter. Um, but I think the real challenge was just being physically absent from the office. Mm. Um, so when you can't be there and you can't make those connections, get to know people, it's quite hard to kind of, um, you know, just to build those relationships and actually sort of start getting getting the, the work that you want to you want to get into. Um, yeah. So I mean that was that was a challenge. I think I mean one of the ways of addressing that, and in my case, I, I made sure to have uh, daily, or if not daily, then at least sort of two or three times a week. Uh, calls with my supervisor, um, and we would just chat about different things. He, he's also a Melbourneian, um, yeah. uh, yeah. went to my primary school and secondary school, um, as it happens. So Whoa, um, that's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? A bit of a coincidence. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. it was a coincidence or if they planned this out, but, um, but there you go. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we 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 got along really well, and, and it was nice to sort of catch up with him on a regular basis. And so, Walter. Walter, you talk about lockdown, which is really interesting, and you know, basically being pulled away from what you envisioned as would would be your career. You know, essentially office work and day to day, like nine till five, or for you, I'm sure it's like nine till whenever. Um, uh, so we we had a similar experience here at uni at March. You know, we, our our dreams of a of a summer term doing our exams in person were basically crushed, um, and and we were sent home to kind of lock down. How did you feel that this? affected your experience as a trainee solicitor or did you feel that you've been kind of robbed of you know an opportunity to get those initial steps in the workplace set up and a little bit I think I think there is an aspect of that and and um and uh you know it hearing about your experience as students to, to be robbed of that sort of 
you know, the 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 end of the year, those those beautiful summer months. Um, yeah, no, that is that's pretty pretty heartbreaking, and it's and it's a really fundamental part of being a student, being able to. I mean, obviously, <laughs> exams being cancelled that that's not necessarily such a bad thing, but um, or being brought online or whatever they were, but um, but absolutely those those uh, weeks and months after after exams or even just around them, where you can hang out with friends and go outdoors and do all sorts of things. Those are some of my happiest memories from uni, and um, and I, I sympathise for you know for you're having lost those. Um, those valuable uh, times, but hopefully, you know, hopefully next year will be slightly different. Um, in my case, yeah. Look, I, I mean, you, you have to you have to take what comes, and um, it's been a very strange time for everyone. Um, I don't think anyone anticipated spending uh, a huge chunk of this year working from home and uh, under under very sort of uh, strange circumstances. Um, but you're right. It was it was challenging. I think just because I had come straight into the firm, as I said, you know, those first two weeks were were crucial just to kind of get to know people and, and build some some early connections. Um, but all you can really do in those two weeks is, is you know lay lay some foundations, and um, it's then quite hard to uh, even you know picking up the phone to people. Um, I you're you're quite cautious as a trainer. You don't want to kind of step on people's toes. You don't want to. Uh, draw them away from from tasks which are keeping them busy. Um, so it, it, there is sometimes a little bit of inhibition to just even just pick up the phone and, and chat with people. And you know that was one of the challenges I, I felt I had to overcome. Um, hence, you know, eventually getting to a position where I could speak really often with with my supervisor, but also call up uh, people I was working with and, and chat with them over, over various issues. Because if you're in the office, you would just go around to their to their room and you would chat with them. Yeah, and the problem gets well. solved quickly. Um, you know, yeah. my dad, who's been working from home, trying to manage, you know, his team has, has had, you know, terrible issues with internet connections, people going, yeah, oh, yeah. by the way, I'm on my lunch break now. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm in the Zoom call. I, I don't really have time to approve that or whatever. You know, yeah. it, it, it becomes it becomes a bit tough. Ed, have you got any thoughts on, on what Walter's well, just Yeah, I just think it's quite interesting because obviously even as a trainee solicitor, especially at the law firm as prestigious as Clifford Chance, you are obviously dealing with some quite... Um, some quite highly sensitive work sometimes uh, in regards to companies and obviously tax. But um, would, would that like affected in the sense that you were limited in what you could do at home as obvious? I imagine quite a lot of stuff has to be kept in office. It's funny, it's funny you should say that because um, this mate I was staying with through a lot of lockdown um, is a trainee solicitor at Freshfields. Um, and uh, we sort of <laughs> we did joke a little bit about having to maintain sort of Chinese walls in terms of yeah. um, in terms of what what could and could not be said in various rooms of the house. But um, but no, I mean I think obviously there are certain certain cases in which you have to exercise precaution, and um, there are calls that I would I would take in a different room just to ensure that um, you know there were no breaches of privacy and that my my Freshfields uh, competitors were not were not listening in. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but no, generally speaking, that, that wasn't, that wasn't really an issue. Um, uh, usually, you know, we worked in different parts of the house and, and, uh, could, could generally sort of be relatively, uh, open with, you know, sending emails and, and various things. Right. So, so not, not too, too much of an issue there. Yeah, was there, was there, was there any part of your work that actually suffered? Cause you mentioned, um, you know, talking about going onto the pro bono work, you know, obviously did your did your firm start to prioritise things because of the circumstance or was everything just transferred online to as it would be in the office? Um, so, yeah, no, thing, I, my, my sense was that things, things ran more or less as normal, just um, uh, virtually rather than in person. Um, on, on the pro bono front, I mean, that is an interesting example, actually, because I, um, I'd signed up for a scheme uh, called Free Law, um, which essentially involves... Uh, providing advice at, at legal advice centres around around London, um, and so I'd signed up at the uh, Bethnal Green uh, Free Law Centre, uh, and and had attended actually a couple of times before starting at the firm. I'd, I'd attended a couple of sessions just to kind of take notes on on how you know solicitors and trainee solicitors give their advice in these sessions. So I was all geared up to kind of go along and, and help people out with, with housing disputes and uh, debt claims and, and various various other issues. Um, but of course, you know, with the lockdown, it, that that then became impossible to, to do it, to do it in person. Uh, so that all went that all went sort of on, onto phone calls and 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 online, um, which frankly was was actually you know the, the majority of the sort of client contacts that I've had as a, as a trainee solicitor 
um, has been through this this program through Free Law. There's a few there's a few other pro bono projects I've been on as well where you you get sort of quite close contact with the um, with the client. Whereas as a trainee in a lot of these matters, uh, you know you're you're rarely the one who is at least leading the conversation with the client. You may be on the call, um, but you're certainly not the one kind of providing the advice directly. Uh, so I found it quite challenging, actually, um, getting involved in, in these sort of free law calls where you're, you are advising a client, people you've, you've never, never met before, uh, without sort of, you know, without being in their presence, without actually being able to kind of look them in the eye and reassure them and, um, you know, look through documents they may have brought along with them. Um, it, it does become a little bit harder. Um, I, I found it was, I found it was quite, quite tough. And actually some of the, some of the cases that have come through free law for me were, were very challenging. Um, so yeah, that was one thing which I found, you know, the client relationship at some level, I think, can suffer um, if, you, if you're not sort of meeting in person. Um, but but as I say, that's something which I've experienced more through the pro bono side rather than, um, yeah. The, yeah, through the... Uh, and talking more in, 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 in specific about Clifford Chance, because unfortunately, yeah. like, due to programs like LA Law, and um, suits. Most most people watching will have this idea of what it is to be, you know, a solicitor in a, in a heavily corporate and, and and competitive law firm. And they think, you know, our suits no pro bono allowed. We're a money making company that we, we our obligations to our paying clients. What what's Clifford's chances, you know, stance on work such as pro bono? Uh, it's it's very strongly encouraged. Um, so in, in fact, there, you know, there are there are targets set for. Um, for solicitors at the firm. So I believe the target across the board is, is 50 hours of uh, pro bono work per year, um, but strongly encouraged to sort of shoot well above that. Um, so uh, in particular, the department that I'm currently working in, the, the litigation and dispute resolution department, um, there's there's very strong support for, for pro bono work, in particular on sort of uh, case management and, and advocacy. Um, so... For instance, I'm I'm working on a case at the moment with the National Autistic Society, uh, in which um, a, a, a family uh, has come to us and has, you know the, the daughter um, was um, wanted to attend a certain school and the school uh, rejected her on certain certain grounds, um, and uh, we are now supporting a claim to kind of overturn that decision um, and try to ensure that she gets access to to the school of her choice. Um, and this is something which, you know, it is pro bono, but at the same time, especially for a trainee, it's a really good experience because you're actually, um, again, engaging directly with the client, which is very important and quite rare in some of these sort of larger matters. Um, but you're also much closer to the detail of, of you know, the, uh, the, the case management and actually sort of making submissions to the tribunal and engaging with advocacy on the other side. Um, oh, sorry, with the advocates on the other side. So uh, it, it's it's a really good experience actually to kind of to kind of almost run your own case, um, and at the same time, hopefully, make a difference to someone um, uh, who's who's struggling. Um, so that that's something which is which is really um, strongly encouraged in, the, in in this department, certainly. Uh, but but across across the board at, at CC, there is there's yeah very strong um, engagement with with pro bono projects of all sorts of you know different shapes and sizes. And is it is it something that that you actually specifically looked for when you were you know applying to firms where you like yeah pro bono is something you know I'd really like to help you but I really like to gain that experience or is it just something you fell into and have now grown accustomed to? Um, it is something I looked for. And, and actually, you know, when I first, I mean, in terms of my, my journey to, to CC, um, so in my first year, um, as, as I've slightly unusual situation of having taken two undergraduate degrees. So I did my first undergraduate degree in languages and my second was then at a full three-year undergraduate in law rather than the, the GDL. Um, and in my first year as a, as a law undergraduate, um, I was looking around for various schemes with with um, with law firms, um, and Clifford Chance offered what was then known as the Springboard Scheme. These days, as I believe, called the Spark Scheme. I, you know, HR will uh, will crucify me if I get that wrong, but there you go. I think it is Spark. Um, so uh, the Spark Scheme um, was a really good insight into into the way that CC works. It, it basically um, provided um, summaries of all the different practice areas um, at, at the firm. And we, we were able to engage with a few different trainees and, um, and associates over lunch times and, and coffees and things. 
Um, so it was a really good way of kind of getting a foot in the door and, and getting to know people. And there was a, a terrific session during that week on the pro bono um, opportunities at Clifford Charts. Uh, and I just, I remember, I remember this guy speaking and just, he really, he just clearly had a, had a, a real passion for sort of for pro bono work and that he'd been involved in a number of different projects. Um, and I found it really reassuring that, that people were able to, uh, you know, combine their sort of corporate law careers with, uh, with very meaningful work in, in other in other areas and, and in pro bono in particular. Uh, uh, pro bono, pro bono. If I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, is not the only thing that you've combined your law career with. Because um, a, a source tells me that you're also on a special type of training contract where you're heavily involved in digital technologies and the future of that in law. Am I am I correct in saying that? That that is correct. That that's right. So um, so after I mean after this vacation scheme, I was um, I applied for the for the training contract and was made an offer uh, at the end of my first year, which was terrific. It really sort of took the pressure off for the rest of the degree. Um, and uh, having having you know um, ex- accepted the offer, I was uh, you know looking forward to starting with a chance. And then an email was circulated um, among um, future Clifford Chance trainees that there was this new scheme which was uh, being put into place, uh, described as the Ignite scheme. Um, and I didn't really know what this was, so I got in touch with, with HR and asked a little bit about it. And um, while I think they had initially intended that it would start sort of the year after I joined, they were also looking for a few people who had already accepted training contract offers um, who also had an interest in sort of the technical side of things uh, to, to engage with it. So essentially what the scheme is, is uh, it's a tech training contract. Um, and it, you know, manif- that, that sort of can be manifested in different ways and in, in the ways that you engage with your TC. Um, so there are certain people coming onto the, onto the scheme uh, with a background in sort of data science and, and um, uh, computer sciences. And, and so they have the technical skills. Um, then there are others who come in with perhaps less of that technical background, perhaps more of a background of having managed an app or having uh, even just sort of having having extensive knowledge of, of relevant sort of uh, trends in technology and, and the law, um, having done you know masters in in um, you know the law of uh, of the internet or, or of other of other sort of modern technologies. Um, so there are all sorts of different people coming from different backgrounds, um, and the scheme is still kind of taking shape. And, and we're still, mm-hmm. I, I think, the firm is still trying to sort of work out what it, what it can do with this pool of very talented young people coming in and um, and uh, uh, bringing very different skills to the table. Yeah. Um, in terms of my background and the reason I was interested in it, um, I mentioned that I studied languages in my, in my first degree, uh, and at the end of that degree, I, I took a course in computational linguistics. Um, which I found really interesting. Um, Can you I, explain to the listeners what you mean by computational linguistics? Computational linguistics, yeah, not an obvious, not, a, not an everyday term, is it? Um, so computational linguistics essentially looks at the analysis um, of, of language through computational methods. Um, so, so things like Google Translate, for instance, um, when you plug a couple of words into Google Translate and it automatically switches that into a different language, there are all sorts of processes going on in the background. I mean, it depends on how complex the, the algorithm is, but at a very basic level, it might just kind of run that search across um, any, it might run a search of those words across uh, translated documents. So if it's got a database full of documents and you've just written the word hello um, in English and you want the uh, German version of that word, well, it'll look at um, an English document with the word hello and look at how the German document translated it, very basic. At a more complex level, you can sort of have full semantic and syntactic representations, which are kind of um, which are processed uh, every time you sort of have those words translated. But you know, this goes to all sorts of different applications. It's also uh, speech recognition, for instance, is is a classic application of um, natural language processing, um, mm. and uh, and that that essentially is, is the field. So it's it's working with language uh, on in in ways which um, in in computational methods. So did that did that kind of push you? towards this um this ignite program this you know digital combination with your career yeah i would say that i mean at this point when i when i studied that course i don't think i was even convinced i, I wanted to go into law at all uh, oh, right. it, it was an area of interest uh, in, in my first degree um and you know i i then pursued it by, by doing some work on, on a sort of uh, a summer scheme uh, with, a, with an organization in uh 
in Cambridge called uh, Africa's Voices, the Africa's Voices Foundation. Um, and we were running a, a really interesting project there in which we were analyzing language uh, from a database uh, in, in Kenya. Um, so that was a uh, sentiment analysis task, basically looking at messages, that have, text messages that have been sent into a, to a radio channel and deciding whether they were positive or negative in their sort of, in their tone. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, having worked on that project, having, having done a few other bits and pieces um, and trying to sort of build up some, some basic uh, coding skills, I, you know, I, I just taken an interest in the area. Um, so when this Ignite um, training contract, uh, you know, became available, I, I obviously jumped at the opportunity to, to get involved in it. Um, so that was kind of the route into it. Uh, in terms of what it's looked like for me over the last, uh, you know, eight months, um, it's been a couple of different things. So while I was sitting with the tax team, um, my main project was, was essentially working on building a database of tax cases over the last 15 years, roughly. So if you go online, you can, you can find summaries of the results of tax cases from the first year tribunal and the upper tribunal. Um, and they summarize various aspects of the case, including the, the um, identity of the, of the appellant, uh, the identity of the judge hearing the case, um, the subject matter, whether it's VAT, corporation tax, income tax, um, and sort of often a sort of notes section, let's say, which, which gives a high-level summary of the case, uh, including the result in the case. Um, so what I was able to do was, was essentially go onto these websites, um, copy across some of this information, um, this publicly available information concerning the results in these cases, uh, and use that to build up a database for, for internal purposes, um, which essentially, you know, I copied through. It wasn't particularly complex. Um, copied through into... into don't a, downplay it, Walter. Don't downplay it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think anyone could have done this, but uh, copy it through to, a, to an Excel document and um, perform different, level, you know, different levels of analysis to, to then build a sort of picture of uh, what's been happening in tax cases over the last 15 years. And so this ended up being across roughly 10,000 cases. Um, I was able to sort of trace a line from the FTT decisions to, to the appeals in the upper tribunal, um, which is easier said than done. Uh, I'd sort of thought that they'd, they'd coordinate a little better, but given that they're sort of all part of the same system. But uh, unfortunately, the summaries given by the, by the upper tribunal, I give no reference back to the original case in the FTT. So that was a challenge yeah. in itself. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was a really good opportunity to kind of get my... Uh, teeth uh, sunk into a um, into a uh, sort of data analysis project, and hopefully one which will be of value. Um, yeah, to the, I mean, we all know yeah. the importance of data is is constantly increasing. If you if you could describe um, what this ignite program, like sell it in one sentence to viewers, what what are the advantages on it? In one sentence, just sell why it's such a beneficial program, not only for Clifford Chance, but for for someone interested in going into the industry of law. Oh, one sentence is tough, but um, I think I think the legal industry generally is facing what is described as the um, more for less challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm sure if you've been to some doing your research into law firms, yeah. you'll have come across that turn of phrase. Um, but technology is so important um, to, to the future of, of the industry. Um, technology, both for internal purposes, you know, making our processes more efficient, document discovery, e-discovery, um, all sorts of software to, to make our lives easier. And at the same time, technology uh, in society at large is taking on a, you know, uh, especially, you know, high tech industries like, um, uh, you know, like the tech giants in the, in the States, essentially. Uh, I mean, this this is now a huge part of the work of, of a large number of, um, you know, uh, top end uh, commercial law firms. So understanding technology, both for its implications within the law firm and how we, uh, how we make our processes more efficient and, and more accurate. And then also understanding technology for the purposes of the work that we do and the clients that we work with is, is crucial. And I think for mm. me, you know, the Ignite training contract gives me the opportunity to kind of work on both sides of, of, of that question. Um, and it's given me a great introduction to, to some people who work in, in tech within the firm. Um, again, both on the sort of processes side and also on the um, on the legal side. Uh, so for me, it's it's been a really good introduction in, into uh, this sort of emerging uh, emerging world we find ourselves in in, in uh, the world of law. 
Yeah, because I, I think Ed had. Yeah, a, yeah, I, well, I was just going to say, obviously, I don't know if it's necessarily something that people equate the law and technology inside law, not necessarily looking at the legal sector, uh, technological sectors through the law. So, like AI in law, for instance, that's becoming a big thing where people are having uh, AI to come come up with easier decisions quicker. Do you think that that's a wholly good thing, or do you think that in the law there always needs to be that human touch where? judges come to decisions based on rationality, which computers maybe at this stage anyway don't have? Yeah, it's a good question. So what you're alluding to there, I think, is is the field described as algorithmic justice, um, yeah. which uh, which is a, a particular application of, of AI in the legal context um, and, and one which I've taken some interest in. Um, I believe that in the long term, and, and I, I really think there is a long way to go, unfortunately, but yeah. I think in the long term, uh, there is a lot to be said for, for algorithmic justice. I think that um, one, of the, one of the issues that we face in the, in our, in, in the English legal system today is uh, access to justice. Um, there's often um, you know, a, a scarcity of, of funding um, and, and often individual litigants struggle to sort of find the time and the means to, to, uh, to go to court. Uh, and I think that that issue could be could be resolved. You know, if if it were possible, it would be terrific to actually provide um, provide decision making sort of free of charge, instantly at the point of you know point of use. Um, and uh, and that that's the promise that 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 is the promise of algorithmic justice. Yeah. Um, whether we can get there is is I suppose another question. Um, but I I do think you know there are all sorts of interesting stats around this. I mean, there's the famous the famous statistic that um, and I'm going to get this wrong, but you know all statistics are made up anyway. Um, there's something like a um, 10% increase in favorable judgments um, after lunchtime. Judgments given after lunch versus before lunch tend to be more favorable. And that's because that's shocking. That's absolutely shocking. 10%, 10% may be a little high. I, I, <laughs> I would check my numbers on this, but but there is apparently a statistically significant increase in, in the number of favorable decisions. And and that is sort of a, a reflection on you know the judge having had something to eat and being in a slightly better mood, perhaps, having a bit of a break. Um, it must have been a happy meal. You know. must, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. sort of what the judge is reading, but but um, but what that indicates, I mean, it, it's it's a it's one little data point, but it, but it is indicative of something, which is that uh, we think of judges as um, as objective and and uh, sort of uh, obviously very well reasoned and and considered in, in their decision making, and they and they are, and, and they certainly aspire to that standard, uh, but there are biases in in all human decision making. And those biases can come from something um, as simple as, you know, whether you've eaten the last hour, but they can come from more complex sort of um, sort of structural views of the, of the world as well. And, and, and those biases could be sort of uh, on, on ethnic lines or on gender lines or, or all sorts of other uh, all sorts of other possible biases that feed into judges' decision making. Even if someone's having a, a, you know, a bad day, it tends to, you know, affect their psyche in the way that they interpret situations so i think that's we we had an actual uh, uh, you know meeting at truro court i'm sure edwin as well i don't know if i was in his group where we spoke to we spoke to a judge and he just said you know juries are ridiculous we should not have juries it, it's it's absolutely ridiculous you know they're all going to be thinking different things some of them might have had a bad day some of them might have had a different experience with this type of person and then use that as a bias he thinks it's absolutely outdated um, but it's interesting what you're saying about technology that they could even be applied to judges as well. Yeah, no, ju juries, it's, juries, it's an interesting one. Um, and of course, a lot of systems have, have sort of done away with juries in general, and, and they're being used increasingly scarcely, I think, in, in English law. Um, but um, I find, I think the value of the jury kind of lies elsewhere. I think, I think the value of a jury actually is in the level of engagement it gives to ordinary citizens and members of the public uh, with the legal system, an engagement which they perhaps otherwise would never have. Um, so it, it's an interesting one, whether, it's, whether it leads to better decision-making or, or sort of more efficacious decision-making, I think that's questionable. Um, but I think, it, I think it's actually um, a, an important sort of part of um, establishing civic duty within, within civil society um, and, and giving people a better understanding of what the legal system is and and why they should they should put their faith in it. 
Um, but do you think that duty is worth possibly getting a wrong verdict and possibly costing someone a lot of money or their life? These are these are you know in, incommensurables, um, and I think I think it's difficult to, to weigh them against each other. I I think that um, you know if if the questions that the judge puts to the jury are sort of are the appropriate questions and. Um, uh, you know, then they, the judge can certainly guide uh, the the trajectory of the case in that in that sense. Uh, but you're right; there is a risk that um, the jury is persuaded of the of the wrong result, and, and a, the judge is sitting there tearing their hair out. So, so that is the risk that comes with it. But um, is it a risk worth uh, facing for, for the you know for engagement with the legal system? Perhaps I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm just going to quickly. I've got to do a quick advertisement, and then we're going to move on to some viewer questions and uh, some word association, which would be brilliant. So, I just want to say that you know, if you want to fight on the landing grounds, fight on the beaches, and have your say in a public place, the best place to do that is the Public Speaking Society, which is run by Emmanuel, Nana, and Patricia. You can find it on Instagram. Um, YouTube, Snapchat, whatever. I'm sure the links will be in description and the end of the video as well. Please follow us on Instagram and YouTube to get the latest updates on the Bird Podcast. We are still here with Walter. Now, Walter, I've got a few viewer questions, uh, one of which is, what is your favourite legal drama or TV show or film? <laughs> um, huh, okay. Well, since since you mentioned Suits earlier in the program, um, I was actually, it, it, was, it was my sister's birthday today and I was, um, my commute involves running up through through the Isle of Dogs and um, I, I stopped and gave her a quick call and uh, showed, her a, showed her a picture of, of the building as I was approaching it and... Um, she she kept banging on about how it was just like the you know what is it Pearson Harden is that the name of the law firm? I well, it goes through many some many changes. Goes through as well. Harden, Spectre lit. You can, Spectre. Tell, you can tell how little of the series I've I've actually watched, but yeah. uh, there you go. Um, but but no, so she yeah she she was very very keen on on the building and yeah I uh, I, I quite enjoy enjoy a bit of Suits, um, but as as I've just revealed, have not yet made it all the way through the series, so. <laughs> What about your favourite legal film? Have you got any legal films that that you'd suggest for someone as authentic as possible? Legal film? I mean, I love Legally Blonde. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hell of a film. Um, That would probably be my, my response there. Way. She's a law student. She can't defend you. Uh, Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruling 3.03. See? Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, we've got one more question uh, from uh, uh, something that's been sent in. It's basically essentially asking, uh, it's written very poorly, so I hope they're, they're not you know, planning on being a lawyer, but they've, they've asked, what is the advice you give to a, a prospectus law student? Yeah, I mean, so obviously there's all the sort of box ticking things that you obviously have to send the applications through, make make the effort, um, try to work out what is um, what is sort of particular to each of the firms that you're applying to. Don't just run off a bunch of um, of sort of cookie cutter applications. I think it's, it is really important to kind of to make the law firms think that you've you know researched them and care care about that firm in particular. Um, even if it is a slightly artificial exercise, it's one that you need to go through. Um, but I think more broadly, in terms of like developing yourself in the right ways and, and making yourself the best possible candidate for any of, any of these places, um, it's it, people sort of people fixate on certain things and ask sort of, oh, you know, I, I really like, you know, okay, I want to start a podcast. I mean, this this is something I want to do, and but I'm not sure it's relevant to, to a legal career. I, I really think actually, whatever you do whether it's starting a podcast or, you know, whether, whether you're an athlete or a musician, um, whatever you do, if you do it to the best of your ability and commit to it and, and you know, do, do the very best you can, I think that will impress law firms generally. I think you see so many people come through the door here with really interesting backgrounds and experiences and, and skills that they bring. Um, and it's very rarely the case that they're just kind of you know, um, they they spent their whole time at university just working on yeah. law. They've done a bunch of different things. They have they've shown commitment to different different objectives and different different sort of skill sets. And um, I think that really impresses people. Um, and I think what comes with that actually is just the ability to speak with passion about something um, and and show your commitment to something. 
um, and and you can then prove to them that, that you are a committed person and, and can then you know translate that commitment to a to a sometimes more than nine to six um, job. So I think that's that's a um, that's a really really important sort of thing to bear in mind. Yeah, that's, sort of that's goes to the idea that no two uh, applications are the same, but all of them have the same theme that they're committed people to what they want from life. Exactly, that's right. That's brilliant feedback. Um, I'm going to let Ed ask some uh, some final questions in a second because I'm sure he's got loads of burning questions about the field of law. But I'm just going to do a quick word association round. Don't be nervous. We, we will edit out any slip-ups, I assure you. Um, so artificial intelligence. Uh, computer. Digital. Tech. Paper. Paper cup. Environment. Law. Jury. Judge. Judge. <laughs> Jury. It's got to be. Accuracy. Precision. University. Cambridge. Trump. <sighs> Idiot. Very, very well done. Very well done. Yeah. Uh, Brexit. <laughs> Wrong. COVID. 19. And finally, legacy. Uh, memory. <laughs> really? Thank you very much. That was really good. That's the best. No, yeah, yeah. So I think it's all boring. No, no, no. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. We have had some slip-ups, but we've had a few slip-ups in some of them. Sort of questions. That obviously, you did your. I think you said you did your first um slice comment, your first seat in tax, and then you're doing litigation at the moment. Do you sort of like know where you want to go in your career? Are you still searching for? that uh, specialized field that you want to dedicate um it's a good question so uh and funny that environment should come up in the in the quick fire word association round but um i i'm quite interested in in sort of the environment and, and in particular climate change and uh, a lot of the pro bono work i've done so far has been sort of oriented in, in that direction actually um so i i'm intending to, to spend my next seat with the project finance team which is essentially our sort of um, I mean, they, they do a lot of work in, in energy projects in particular. Um, so sometimes it's oil and gas, sometimes it's solar and wind. Um, but I think for me, um, I, I would really value getting some experience in the sort of the energy yeah. sector generally. Um, that said, I've, I've, had, you know, I've, I've enjoyed aspects of my time in tax. I've, I've really enjoyed aspects of my time so far in, in litigation and dispute resolution as well. I'm actually sitting in the arbitration sub-team um, and arbitration is essentially, um, I mean, there's different forms of it, but, but, you, but parties can decide to enter in, in, into an arbitration agreement in, un, under the terms of the contract that they've entered into. Um, and on that basis, um, they, can then, um, they can then have their disputes regulated by sort of a tribunal that they themselves select rather than yeah. submitting themselves to the jurisdiction of you know, England and Wales or a different jurisdiction. Um, and it's very, it's an interesting area. It's very flexible. I think, you know, one of the things about, one of the things about, um, you know, litigation in, in England and Wales is, uh, there's a lot of formality to the process. There's a lot of, um, sort of understanding what the, what the relevant CPR guidelines re require yeah. you or to do. Um, there's much less of that in arbitration. I mean, there is, there are still procedures that you need to follow and, and still, um, you know, um, uh, conventions that have arisen. But uh, at the same time, it is a little more flexible. It's also very international, which for me, having been a languages student, having come from the other side of the world, uh, is, is certainly an appeal there as well. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really enjoying my time in, in the arbitration team. And uh, it's, it's one of the more competitive teams that Clifford Chance to, to qualify into, um, but certainly one that, one that I'm interested in. Yeah. And um, just a quick um, injection here. Um, you mentioned the environment um, and you know, the first thing I invested in when I opened a portfolio was clean energy. Um, what do you feel that the importance is of lawyers moving in the direction of the future with regards to specialization rather than the past? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's extremely important. Um, it's, it's a little difficult at some of these firms because uh, you know, a large a large part of the client base is, uh, is in sectors which you know I might previously have disapproved of or you know, <coughs> oil. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I think actually, in some ways, engagement with those industries and with um, with those businesses is really important. If if mm -hmm. we're going to make the changes that we need to make, 
um, the best thing that we can do actually is to engage with with the businesses that are currently polluting most and try to sort of bring them around and 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 assist them in their in their transition towards a sort of a cleaner cleaner future. Did and you did you hear about the news of um, uh, Shell um, transferring from? Kind of the oil industry to a to a cleaner industry um, and rediversifying their workforce accordingly. What what did you think of that? So yeah, there's been a bit of movement on this front um, in 2020 from a, a number of the the large oil and gas companies, especially in Europe. Um, so Shell, BP, Total in France, um, all three of them have set um, relatively ambitious climate targets um, in in the last year, and BP in particular has has been making a lot of uh, noises about, um, I think, is it Mark Looney? I forget his, the, the name of the CEO. Uh, they, they're making very, very serious efforts to um, to move towards a very different um, sort of structure and, and, uh, and you know, energy generation um, uh, sort of platform. Uh, yeah, and I think that these are all very positive developments. And um, Clifford Chance, Obviously, full service firm. So we we do advise on on acquisitions and and developments uh, of of oil and gas fields. But at the same time, um, we're also providing support on sort of uh, economic, social, and governance um, uh, factors. Yeah. I'm sorry, economic, environmental, social, and governance factors. Um, so we we do sort of provide that full service support and are able to help them with with the transitions like like the transitions we've seen uh, as of this year. Now, whether whether that transition, I mean, cynically, you could you could argue. Um, that the part of part of the reason there has been, you know, the dramatic fall in uh, oil prices um, from from earlier this year, although the prices have rebounded a little bit. Um, but these movements actually were starting probably well before that, um, and and actually in, in this sort of the years before twenty twenty as well. Um, so I think there have been some really positive developments this year, uh, and you know, I'm looking forward to working with the firm to kind of assist in in those transitions and and do what we can to take. The, the largest emitters to a position where they're where they're no longer emitting quite so much. Well, well it sounds like Clifford Chance is, is is looking to be a firm of the future rather than the past, which is really great to see. Um, I'm just gonna I've got one more question, but I'm gonna save it for the very end. I'm gonna pass back on to Ed to see if there's anything else he wants to cover. Ed, I, I, I actually think you've covered everything. I sort of want. No, I'm a prospective solicitor as well. Actually, magic circle select would be up there for me, but. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's good to know that there there are ways to get into the law, and then you can do what you want in terms of like the environment at the bigger firms as well. Because obviously, sometimes you may look at big firms and industries and not necessarily equate them with being innovators in certain areas because they're so steeped in history with other older firms. But it's good to know that you can go there and do pro bono or work towards creating a better world. I think that's something that's really good. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, in terms of pro bono work I've, I've done in the environmental space recently. Um, so there was a project in which we, um, the, the, there's an organization uh, which works with um, local sort of community community energy organizations um, around around the UK. And these are often organizations which um, which band together and and sort of uh, bring bring funds together to to build their own sort of solar panel or, or wind farm. Um, so these are local local community organisations which which kind of are looking towards a greener future as well. And we then worked with um, a another organisation which supports you know the fifty odd uh, community energy organisations across the country, um, so that they could enter into a contract with with a developer to assist in some of the, some of the sort of uh, the projects um, at hand. And so we were we were helping them draft that sort of um, service agreement. Um, which was, you know, quite a rewarding ex- exercise to be involved in, and, and will hopefully have a substantial impact on um, on sort of community energy across the country. Um, at the same time, I'm also involved in a group called the Chancery Lane Project. <clears throat> the Chancery Lane Project is essentially an organisation which which conducts green drafting. Um, that's to say, they work with lawyers um, to build clauses which can be inserted into into contracts, which Will effectively hold the um, the parties to account on on certain uh, certain matters. So perhaps, for instance, if they fail to meet certain environmental standards, then that could entitle the other party to terminate the contract or, or seek damages of some kind. Oh, yeah. um, so so the, these are sort of you know this is a particularly legal legalistic response to to the climate crisis, but one that I've I've uh, been quite interested in. And and then perhaps lastly, 
the one that I've been involved in more recently in the arbitration team has been the campaign for greener arbitrations. Um, and so this is this is a campaign which essentially seeks to reduce um, the individual emissions, uh, which results from you know often arbitrators and, and and legal counsel will fly all across the world in, in order to sort of conduct their, their arbitral hearings. And so this this essentially provides a protocol and a commitment uh, to reducing, among other things, air travel um, and and transport generally. So printing costs, sending of you know boxes of bundles from one end of the earth to the other. Um, so this, you know, this is a, this is a new campaign, which we're also engaging with at the moment, but there's a few different, a few different strands to it. Um, lots of, lots of ways to engage in, um, in these issues at, at Clipper Chance and, um, I'm trying to make the most of it. I think it's uh, really, really good that, um, law firms allow for flexibility for people, not only to, only to you know, follow the, what the firm wants to do, but also their, their passions. I think that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I have one last question for you. Um, um, before before we sign off, and it's uh, Nicholas J. McBride defines law as you know a, a conversation about and you know an ongoing conversation about what our society should look like. I, I have a question: as a lawyer, do you believe that you're part of the problem or part of the solution? Well, first of all, can I just throw a quick shout out to Nick McBride, who um, was yeah. a was a tutor at, at my first college. And um, when I said, I, I decided I was going to apply for a second undergraduate in law um, and had a quick chat with him and, and he provided some very, very useful advice. So thank you, Nick. Um, you, you are part of the reason I'm here today. Um, so the question was, are we part of the problem or the solution in society? And you personally, not not like, because I know there are loads of lawyers that, that every law is different, but you personally, as a lawyer, do you, you personally feel you're part of the problem or part of the solution? Um, I think you need to, to look at these things sort of in the round. So, um, I mean, and, and we kind of have to define what the problem and the solution are here. Um, I think the people in this building have um, a, a very valuable set of skills, um, which, you know, often save clients a lot of time and money. Um, perhaps then there are secondary questions as to whether the clients that we're serving are the right clients or, you know, are making the right impact on the world. Um, and I think in that sense, uh, I, I think it's important to be constantly critical and, and discuss and debate the sort of impact that we want to have uh, on the world at large. Um, I think to some extent, perhaps lawyers sometimes sort of see themselves as agents um, or, or, or sort of middlemen rather than, rather than sort of um, more dramatic agents in, in, the, in the scheme of things. Uh, but we, we, of course, have our role to play and, and we, we obviously offer a valuable service. Um, and in acknowledging the value of that service, I think we should constantly kind of uh, challenge our preconceptions of, 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 you know, what is acceptable and what is normal um, in the clients that we engage with. So, you know, look, I think, um, I think that there, there is a, there's a real sea change at the moment in commercial law in particular and, and in, in, uh, among companies across the world in terms of uh, what, what people should expect from companies and, um, and uh, how they should how they should conduct themselves. Uh, there was, of course, the famous sort of business roundtable um, statement last year that you know, it, it's more than just the profit to the to the shareholders that we should be looking at. There are, there are all sorts of other considerations and stakeholders that we should that we should be thinking about. Um, and I hope that that trend continues both in sort of the commercial realm broadly, but also in particular in, in corporate law. And uh, I, I intend to be part of the force to to keep that change uh, keep that change moving. Thank you very much for answering uh, so truthfully and eloquently. Um, I'd just like to thank you personally from, from the Verdict podcast and the Verdict team for coming in. This has been really beneficial to, to our cohort, I'm sure, when they do hear it. This obviously isn't live. I wouldn't put that pressure on anyone. Um, but thank you very much. This, is, this has been fantastic. And been I, fantastic I, guest. Yeah, yeah, no yeah you've been great. Yeah. No worries. Sorry. It was a pleasure and uh, very nice to meet you both. Yeah, brilliant. And thank you very much. And have a have a, a good rest of the day. And I hope that COVID keeps you in the office and keeps you being part of the solution. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, thank you very much. Give a shout out to Australians as well. I want to give a shout out to Australians and what they can do in the law. You know, it's brilliant. There you go. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very knowledgeable guest, Ed. What, what did you think of uh, of the conversation we just had? Yeah, it was great. It was very, very, very well spoken. I think it actually gave some very good insights into where well, we moved across uh, many different areas, the tech and the law, sort of AI, all of that. But then we also moved to 
what it takes to be a good lawyer, what you can do as a lawyer beyond just being a member of a corporate firm like Clifford Chance, who might not necessarily be known as innovators in the environmental field or as um, getting pro bono to become a big force in their own. But I think that was really, really interesting. I think a lot of our viewers will appreciate listening to that. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think I think as an Australian as well, it was it was really it was really enlightening to see because you see in Australia we tend we have the tendency to talk really fast. We t- we talk really fast. We say a lot and we don't stop. We don't even take a breath. But one thing I noticed with with, with this guy with Walter is he even though he was talking really fast, he was talking so much it was hard to get in there. Everything he was saying was you know precise, concise, and you know really thought out it actually sounded like he he knows what he's talking about i mean i know for my cousin yeah, well, like, well, you know, blah 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 all yeah. the time but, doing languages at cambridge might be a big factor in that. yeah well of course, uh, of course, of course. Mm. anyway we um have got to run ladies and gents because we are recording another episode but we just want to say thank you very much for listening we are the verdict podcast um we have to promote flamank because they're quite frankly the best society in the world you can get anything you need from from you can get anything you need from from you know you can get career prospects you can get public speaking skills muting advocacy anything you need as a lawyer it will equip you for not only your degree but the future of your life we just want to thank you again from the verdict podcast and i'm just going to say a goodbye from me bye